Welcome to another of the Summer Cood Street podcast, where Jonathan Strahan and I spend a few minutes with a lot of interesting people that uh, uh, that we've wanted to talk to for a long time. And today, I'm delighted to be able to spend 10 or 15 or so minutes with World Fantasy Award winner and current World Fantasy nominee again, Cherie Renee Thomas, uh, editor, anthologist, poet, uh, short story writer, and now publisher too, am I right? Um, yes, I, I used to publish, um, I used to be a small press publisher. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so how, and the other thing I was thinking about this morning, actually I was thinking about this because a couple of weeks ago I decided to read Lovecraft Country um, in advance of the TV series. And the TV series kept this from the book, which I'm really pleased with. And it made me think of Dark Matter, that there were actually science fiction, black fantasy and science fiction readers back in the 50s. Yeah, we're and, alive. I'm <laughs> reading. I know. Uh, but, but, I, and, but that that made me think that now you've passed the 20th anniversary for the original Dark Matter anthology. Does that make you feel like a pioneer or what? I mean, it makes me feel old, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, July was the 20th anniversary. Um, Bessie Mitchell, Jamie Levine, those are wonderful people that helped bring it into the world, Marie. Dutton Brown, Cheryl Woodruff encouraged me. So it's so it's just a bit of memory lane all you know, all summer when I wasn't like in a corner peeping out the window terrified. So yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been a momentous anniversary. Yeah, that's for sure. Um well, go ahead. No, no, no. That was just 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 um just thinking about all the changes. Um, that have happened, all the, the good writers and new voices who are in the field on both sides of the books, you know, in the publishing mm-hmm. side as well on the um, and the uh, writing and reading side of it. But um, and also the things that haven't changed. <laughs> that we're well, there are things about. that haven't changed, but, but, but I mean, there, there does seem to me, uh, it seems to me to be a different science fiction landscape now from when you first published that or even when you published the second one. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I remember going to one of my first science fiction conventions um, because it's not something that I would have one been able to afford to do before when I uh-huh. was younger reading, and it was not in a it was not in a tradition. It wasn't like uh, part of the the family culture to even go to book signings. So we did, you know, we were one of your quiet bottom line readers, part of that um, readership that you never saw necessarily in your fandom circles or what have you. Workers, we're all in the house, you know. Imagine that yeah. we were there. And um, I went and we and the writers that came with me, the few writers who were able to come from the Dark Manor anthology, we were pretty much the only people of color there in um, some of those settings. So it's very different um, landscape um, in terms of visibility and everything. So. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's different in both ways, because on the one hand, you're right. Uh, the the kind of signings you would have gone to for science fiction might not have drawn a lot of people of color, but but a lot of the venues back then for uh, for people of color probably uh, weren't that much aware of science fiction. What I'm thinking of is uh, here in Chicago, we've got the DuSable Museum, mm-hmm. and in the last I'm going to say five or six years, they've done their first science fiction oriented uh, 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 programs. They did. Uh, program with Nettie Okorafor and last fall did one with, with Nisi Shaw. So I think it's working both ways. I think uh, the, the, the people like uh, the organizers of the DeSable Museum are way more aware of science fiction now than they would have been 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the science fiction community, obviously, and 
thankfully, is much more aware of people of color, both as writers and readers. Exactly. There is a um, there is an interesting invisibility and visibility that was happening. Um, the the work itself is not necessarily wasn't necessarily on the radar in a number of communities. You know? Right. Unless it was um, Samuel Delaney and Octavia Butler, right? Um, right. So they were aware of that, and that's mostly because of. Um, I won't say for um, on, on Chip's side, but for our Taylor's side, it was in, in great um, degree because of the scholarship that uh, was happening out of um, some of the universities where people were making intentionally writing about her work, reviewing it, placing it in context and teaching it to um, up and coming scholars and other readers um, to get that work back in print when it wasn't in print in the country. So I think that's true. I, and I think that probably even now I haven't done a survey and it, there have been surveys done in the past, but I would guess by now that Kindred is one of the most widely taught fantasy novels in, 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 uh, in colleges. I have no evidence for that except, and I, I call it a fantasy novel because Octavia insisted. Mm-hmm. It was she sure did. She said it wasn't science fiction because she didn't spend any time exploring the, the time travel mechanism. But yeah, it's definitely widely taught um, as a lot of her work is. And I'm really excited. We're all excited about that, you know, to see that um, happening and that her work is being celebrated um, by a whole new group of readers. Yeah. Well, let's go to a question that we ask on all these little short podcasts. What do you, or if you're able to read and concentrate at all, which is an issue for some people, what are you, re- what are you reading during this uh, weird summer of 2020? Okay, so I've been reading all kinds of stuff. I will say for me, when the quarantines first started, the thing that really kept me going and kept me, you know, just feeling kind of um, not as out of it as I as I would have been without it is definitely books and movies. So I watched a whole lot of horror movies. <laughs> horror movies, okay. I did. I watched a ton of horror movies. I watched a lot of, um, um, like I watched Burnt Offerings, um, uh Betty Davis's last horror movie with Oliver Reed and Karen Black. No, that's um, ancient. I, you know, <laughs> I watched the trilogy of terror, you know, um, I just, we're talking about back. real old classics here. Aren't yeah. We? I just brought back all the, all the, like, it's almost like comfort food. The horror movies were comfort food for me. I know uh-huh. that's weird, but it's like a horror. I can, I can, I can wrap my mind around versus this, you know, you know, these deaths that was happening, you know, that well, was yeah. impacting right. um, my community in particular, you know, we're you know, most at risk for it. So it was just really something I could manage. Um, but on top of that, I was reading a lot of nonfiction. So I read, um, what is it? I stacked up my little books just to go back <laughs> to memory lane. I did. Um, oh, I read Freedom Farmers, Agriculture Resistance and the Black Freedom Movement, um, because I was um, working on something and I wanted to know more about um, the changes in terms of how black communities perceive agricultural work and farm work Uh from emancipation, you know, from when you were forced to do this work for mostly at someone else's game to you have to do it for your own survival and then losing a lot of that land. You know, Um, there's a multi-billion dollar case right now um, that black farmers have against the U.S. um, DA um, and the government and uh, some private um, companies for selling them bad seeds one deliberately. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. And also holding off their loans, like not dispersing the loans, um, dispersing the loans in a timely manner where they could save their farms. So, um, so that mm-hmm. was um, a thing. So I was doing research on that. 
I have this wonderful book, The Lark Ascending, The Music of the British Landscape from Richard King. And I'm really enjoying this book. Um, really? That's named after the famous Rayfawn Williams violin piece, isn't it? I think so. I think so. That's uh, it's fast. And the title of the book is Lark Ascending. Mm-hmm. The Lark Ascending. And Great. And a whole survey of British um, music, um, folk music in particular, because uh-huh. I'm really um, um, into folk horror and and enjoying that on the page. So one of the books I read very quickly, kind of consumed it, was Emily Tesh's um, Silver in the Wood. Um, uh-huh. Really enjoyed that. And I cannot wait to read the novel, I think, that's coming out of that. Um, that should be, it's probably already out and I just don't have it, but. Okay, I'll find out about that. Yeah. <laughs> one, one that I can add as a recommendation if you're interested in the British folk scene is uh, Elizabeth Hand's Wilding Hall. Oh, well, I like it. It's it's very much about it's it's kind of a haunted house with the British kind of folk renaissance back in the seventies. So it's uh, uh, it's it's a little bit nostalgic, but scary at the same time. Okay, and let's see what else did I have? I have the Shadow King, which I'm almost done with it. Not quite. This is by Maza uh, McGinste, and I hope I'm saying her her name correctly. But it is a beautiful, beautiful novel. And it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of sweeping. It's looking at um, Emperor Haile Selassie and Ethiopia and Mussolini and the freedom movement and independent movement that um, took place then and the women who were a part of that, the unsung heroes, hmm. part of that. Um, and it's so from um, um, a woman's point of view. And it's just a part of history I didn't know anything about in terms of the women's role in that. Um, you know, Ethiopia being, of course, the um, one of two nations, Haiti being the other one that remained independent during the whole colonial sweep of Africa. Right. So that is just an astonishing novel. I love it. And what else have I been reading? I read The Deep by River Solomon mm-hmm. and, and et al. And I read... Oh, I'm always reading. So this is not fair. This is a book I always. Oh well, no! I mean, I'd say you, you don't have to list. <laughs> I never you don't have to list everything you've read all summer. Just <laughs> things that you want to call attention to. Yeah, the blues line, and um, I mentioned in the workshop I, I was teaching yesterday. But I love this book because it includes all the blues lyrics, from Lead Belly to Ma Rainey, Memphis Minnie, right on oh, really? Waters, and it's just line by line. So it's just uh. It's just an amazing resource in terms of like for humor, for one, and some some of it's uh-huh. really funny, and also just as for the historical references, a lot of the slang and colloquialisms are you know unfamiliar, so you you know you have to go back and look them up, and there's a lot of history contained in it, you know. So I oh, was sure. Thinking, go ahead, go ahead. That's terrific. Uh, is, is no, but uh, so we've already talked about your comfort reading, which is watching ancient horror movies. <laughs> Which is fine. Let me offer right the land, you know, nature, nature attacks, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, not only that, but the, the the old horror movies, you can kind of resolve those horrors. Um, I think well, I've, I have this theory. I've been sort of keeping to myself that one of the reasons uh, people are so so, so many uh, people of color are rediscovering Lovecraftian horror is because you can you can 
resolve it in a way that you want to resolve it rather than uh, the way Lovecraft might have resolved it. Yeah, I wish I had done like you and read the novel before the series. I am enjoying the series um, uh -huh. a lot, uh, uh, um, I, but I like the director's previous show, Underground. I thought it was pretty amazing. Right. Um, oh, well, it'll be interesting because the, the third episode of the, the, the novel is almost a collection of short stories because each chapter has a different point of view character. Uh, so I assume that, and basically the first two episodes were the first chapter of the novel, or the first couple of chapters. Okay. All right. So it gets really interesting after this, and I'm, I'm as anxious as, as you are to see it. But we should also talk about what you have out in the world or coming out in the world that, uh, that we should be aware of. I have my first all prose collection out from Third Man Books called Nine Bar Blues. Yeah. Great title. Thank you. It's stories from an ancient future. So it's 16 short stories. Um, and it's all I have to say to the world right now. <laughs> it's um, oh, this is. <laughs> how, how few writers are willing to admit that? <laughs> it's all. Read the book. Don't ask me any questions. Okay, great. <laughs> But yeah, it's um. So the stories go back from, I guess, from two thousand and fifteen mm -hmm. to last year, I guess. And but the oldest one that I started was probably probably two thousand eleven, and I just kind of toddled around it over time as I had to live it. I guess I had to live until I could understand it better and to actually write the story the way that it needed to be written. Yeah. That took a while, but um, the stories all have a, a, I guess a through line of music, of course. Um, so it's different musical genres um, that are explored in the different stories, but also different, different um, geographies and time periods and different rhythms. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So. Well, um, are you going to try to attend virtually the? I wanted to offer my congratulations on the on the World Fantasy nomination, which is your would be your third should you win. But um, and nobody's going to Utah at this point, which is fine with me, I guess. But are you going to try to participate virtually in the World Fantasy Convention? I am. I am going to try. Um, I just finished um, virtually attending the National Association of Science Fiction. Um, convention and that was fun. That was actually fun. So, um, even though I had an amazing time in LA at the World Fantasy Convention last year as a guest of honor, mm -hmm. um, it's probably more fun to be a finalist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, I'm going to try to um, attend and and um, and just yeah, I'll be doing the same thing. Well, I hope maybe I'll be able be able to see you there then. Yeah, it's just great to be nominated and to be. Um, to thought of, to be thought of, because um, it was a totally different environment for us, um, you know, doing dark matter. Um, I, mm -hmm. I mentioned that a couple of people would said at the time that they didn't even understand why a dark matter anthology was needed, <laughs> which is really to me. Oh yeah, um, but I but when I you know when I see it from their perspective, I guess because if the, if your belief is that the work isn't out there and that people aren't reading it. Um, beyond the you know two or three people that you're aware of, then it makes sense. But um, I feel like the past twenty years have been a, a resounding answer to to how many different communities are out there. I mean, out of dark matter, we have like Cosmos Latinos and 
and Latino rising and, um, you know. Uh, well, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say. Other something. communities have done books of, of science fiction, you know, um, since then. So. Well, I mean, a lot of people, have, and, and I think you're right, before, before your anthology, there were a few anthologies of, of feminist science fiction, for example. But after after A Dark Matter, then uh, Lisa Yasek started doing some real archaeology and finding women's science fiction back through the pulp era. And you're right. There are a lot of uh, Latinx uh, anthologies. There's now the first couple of Israeli anthologies, Korean anthologies, China. It, it looks like all over the world people are not just writing science fiction, but finding the science fiction that had been there all along. And you know what? Um, we did the Dark Matter books I knew of two W.E.B. Du Bois stories at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know if we were going to be able to do a second one. So I just put my favorite one in the first one. And then I put the second one in the second Dark Matter Reading the Bones. But then they found um, other stories, you know. So it's just like a lot more scholarship has come out. Um, and just there's this whole other movement to to have own voices and to have um, works that are written by the people from different cultures um, that to just give us other, other kinds of storytelling. And that's really, that's good for all of us. It is. It's great for all of us. And it's great to be able to talk to you for a few minutes. We've for more than 10 minutes, it's always more than 10 minutes. Uh. But, but again, this has been uh, the, the Coot Street podcast. I'm Gary Wolf. We've spent a wonderful uh, time talking with Cherie Renee Thomas. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.